0: Welcome to the Jeff Gross Podcast. This episode is brought to you in partnership with Party Poker. Go to PartyPoker.com to play tournaments, cash games, and improve your poker game. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast to hear all of my future episodes. All right, welcome everyone. We have another podcast, a very special guest, friend of mine, world champion. He's an Olympic gold medalist. We got Audley Harrison in the building. Audley, how are you? Whoop, whoop, whoop.
1: Very good. Very good, sir. How you doing? I'm very good.
0: I'm good too man. All things considered, right? It's a crazy year coming to an end, but uh it's been it's yeah. been good. Tell me a little bit about first of all, um let's just yeah, how are you? What's been going on? How has your year kind of been impacted by by COVID? Let's just get that out of the way. Tell me what, you know, where you live like in terms of what's going on in your region and how has your life been impacted? Yeah, yeah.
1: So <clears throat> I'm in California and California has one of the most stringent um Governors. <laughs> so he's really kinda of locked everything down. You know, um when I left when I left boxing, um, thankfully I got into the hair care business with my wife. So we, we have a hair salon in Calabasas and we have a hair care liner. The hair salon industry has been decimated, to be fair. You know, our salon's been closed three times now. We were closed for five months, um, then we were closed for two months and now we're closed again. So it's been a it's been a horrible year for the for the hair industry, really under pressure. But all the governors and all the all the TV personalities—they're all getting their hair done every time they're on TV. But they need to shut down. It's really kind of a crazy situation. So yeah, we've been closed a lot. We have the hair care line that we that we're that we're scaling, just closed a couple of big POs. So that's been horrible with COVID. Um, You know, with the lockdown, my kids are – I've got two kids. They're both homeschooling. So my son's seven. Having to deal with my son, it's like we're the teachers, you know, and and obviously hustling, busy. It's it's definitely been challenging. My daughter's 14, so she's okay. We've also been in the middle of a remodel. We've been doing a remodel that's lasted all year because of COVID, trying to work and navigate, you know, having workers here and all that has been a nightmare uh, too. So that's been like – it's just been one of those years. You know, from Kobe going in January – uh, and obviously I you know, my daughter's a baller, I uh, love Gigi so it was like a big that was that was big and it's been nonstop. Every month has been something big. Um did have some good news. I had some bad news and good news. My dad, um, and I haven't really spoken about this, so this is like you're getting exclusive, but my dad uh a month ago got diagnosed with um with leukemia. Uh, and found him collapsed in in his house and um rushed to hospital. And that was tough, you know. So they didn't think he he had four or five weeks on chemo in hospital. And, um, you know, 77 years young. And um, fire. I know where I get it from, you know. And he basically beat all the you know, blood transfusion. They had a brain hemorrhage. And he basically beat all the odds. And he came home the other day. So he's back home recovering in remission. Like, he beat all the odds. So some good news from a terrible <clears throat> 2020 uh pops pops just uh, beat the odds you know so wow. well congrats yeah. to him
0: and you and your family that's yeah, it's scary and that's that stuff yeah, but, yeah. Uh, you, you just never want <clears throat> to deal with but it happens and yeah you know speaking yeah. of a fighter for it
1: whatever it takes you got get through it he had the same attitude he's like, I'm gonna get through it and he and he did he beat every beat all the odds so <clears throat> that's some good news to finish off 2020 and um you know, tough times don't last. Tough people do. You know, 2021's coming. 20, you know, the future is still bright. It's tough as it is. I know people's lost loved ones and it's been a horrible year. But, um, you know, life is going to go on until we, we're gone. We're going to live it and live it to the best of our ability. And every every knock we get, we're going to get knocked down and we're going to get back up. That's the only way life is. and That's the only way you should live. Keep moving forward no matter what.
0: I love it. No, I agree completely. Well, you know, I do want to, I do want to kind of uh, give people a little bit of background on yourself. You are, you're a professional boxer. You also have some, some pretty impressive poker results. Uh, And I know you you really are a student of the game and you are immersed in it and enjoy it. So I want to try to, we don't have a ton of time and I want to cover a lot. So let's just give me like a real uh, summary up to as a youth. How you got into boxing and how it kind of became something where, you know, you won Olympic gold medal. Just kind of run me through your career. Where did, How did you get into it for, at first? And, and sort of talk me up until, let's just, you know, pause at your first, you know, major fight or whatever. Tell me that process. Well, so basically,
1: what, what, when I was young, I was like, a, you know, I came from a rough, tough community. Um, um, Stonebridge I was born in, in of Northwest 10, which is like a... a, like a a rough, tough neighborhood um, where you want to grow up, you know, gives you the right, the right characteristics. Um, and basically uh, I was like on the wrong side, you know, messing around, you know, went to a young offenders institution expelled from two schools. So I was the typical broke, come from a broken home. So I'm the typical poster boy. I actually had an epiphany when I was like nine years old, getting into trouble that I was going to be a famous sportsman. So you could say as a youngster, I was chasing this epiphany. Cause I played soccer, I played uh, rugby, cricket, track and field. I was, Good at all sports. Okay. I found boxing at 19, ended up getting locked up in the young offender's Felton. Uh, I found boxing at 19 uh, by having a street fight with a guy who <clears throat> was a big guy, George. Everybody knew him, he was well known, I was well known. We went there and had a street fight, and everyone said, oh, Audrey, you're a boxer because you look like you're a boxer. My younger brother used to box all the way through from his yeah. young age, so in psychology, They call it a vicarious experience. I kind of modeled myself on my my brother. I used to love the Rocky movies. So I thought, let me go down to the gym and give it a try. So, age 19, very late, went into the gym. First time I went in there, you know, I could see the eye of the tiger, all these people looking at me. And I went and sparred with one of the, you know, one of the tough guys in there. And I was as confident as hell. And I was like, this, maybe this is that epiphany. Could I box rings around him? Or I held my own at least. And I thought, maybe this is it. And and from there, I went to a boxing gym, started boxing, and I never looked back because I knew that this is that epiphany that I saw when I was young because I just had all the skills, all the confidence, and I just turned my life around. You know, and one thing I used to hate when they spoke about boxers is they say, oh, he's another boxer who's been to jail from a broken home with no qualifications, been expelled. So that's what made me go back to college at the same time while I was boxing because I'm going to be the first boxer they talk about. Here's a boxer who has an education as well, who turned his life around. So went through, ended up like dominating the amateur career, Um, you know, won two national titles. Then I won six international tournaments and then went to the Commonwealth Games. And at the same time, boxing wasn't even talked about in the UK. Amateur boxing, Olympic boxing. We hadn't won a, a medal for 32 years. So it was like... We're not even talking about, you know, England's never going to win a gold medal. So I used that. I used my, like, my marketing finesse. By that time, I graduated with a degree from university in sports science and leisure management. So the marketing, I really understood it. I had the street hustle. Now I'm matching it all together. And so I went to the Olympics. Everyone said, oh, this guy can't win. I went to the Olympics and I had a great campaign behind the scenes, not only to win the gold. I said, I'm going to win the gold, but I am going to put boxing on the map." So I kind of created a campaign with the the UK uh, to get boxing funding because boxing wasn't funded. So I kind of marched to the the Commons, the the Parliament. I marched to Parliament with like 50 people. I put it on on the news. I've done my own press releases. And basically I had a meeting with the sports minister, the then sports minister, and it got us like 500 grand to go to the Olympics, to, to, to train and qualify to go to the Olympics. He got the whole team. We only had two boxers qualify. went to the Olympics and just wrote wrote my history. You know, um, I had four fights, won the gold medal and um, rather won the gold medal, which was on BBC, you know, 6 million people watched it in the middle of the morning. And I came home with household name overnight, you know, so that, that epiphany I had at nine years of age, I am gonna be a famous sportsman. That was that dream realized, you know? Wow. So after I won the gold, you know, I wrote uh, my old biography came out realizing the dream. Cause that was that part of that journey over. I'd realized the dream. I'd come all the way from the bottom and I rose all the way to the top with a degree, with an Olympic gold medal, with an MBE. And I thought I'm going to keep going because this journey is not meant to spot with me now signing with a promoter. So I ended up signing my own deal, went behind all the promoters back. And that was my biggest problem. I up. The, I didn't sign with a promoter. I went direct to the network, done my own deal, obviously seven figures, and became my own independent promoter. It would never been done before in the UK, so it meant I went against all the promoters, I went against the system, and I didn't care. I said, I'm going to keep doing it. But it means my performance it had to be perfect. But I came out of the Olympics with my knuckle totally ruptured because... I fought two fights, my semis and my finals, I thought it with a totally ruptured knuckle. That knuckle wow. there, totally ruptured, had to be had that totally repaired. I didn't mm-hmm. care. I was winning the gold. I had an injection put in my hand for the final and I just went there and done it. But my whole knuckle had to be repaired. So turning pro, I'd done the big deal, but I wasn't ready for about six months, eight months because of this, I had to get surgery. So they couldn't wait. I had to so I had my first, first two fights, definitely, and I wasn't fully there in shape, getting there just kept on breaking down it was horrible
0: let me interrupt you for a second just because my understanding of uh as you know michael phelps who i was my roommate my best friends he actually it's 2000 where you won the gold medal right in sydney yeah This this was his first olympics as well and he was like 15 or something at the time. He did not medal. But can you explain a little bit about the rules on that? Because I see you technically were a professional boxer from 2001 to 2013. So how does that work? You could not be a professional and be in the Olympics. So is this this means you finish the Olympics and then you went professional. How does how that rules work? And, and what's the strategy behind that? Do you time it so you compete in Olympics and then you go pro? Like, how does that work?
1: Yeah, so the, the, Olymp- the Olympic Games is the pinnacle of, of Olympic sports. Yeah. So sports like basketball, sports like swimming. I mean, basketball, you have professionals that are in basketball and they right. can they can play in the Olympics, no problem. But boxing, because we have two different sports, we have the Olympic boxing and then we have professional boxing. So in boxing, you cannot be a professional. You cannot be a Floyd Mayweather. You cannot be an joshua and, and go box in the Olympics. Right. So the, the Olympics is like our shop window. If you go to the, many boxers box around the world, but they don't go nowhere near the Olympics. Just to qualify for the Olympics is hard. To go there and win the gold is almost impossible. So, but if you do do that, that's like having a Harvard degree and then you're, t- you're going into the business world because that yeah. gold medal gives you the highest bargaining tools and now your shop window, you can now go, it's like winning American Idol, you can now go and shop your deal with a different promoter to turn professional. So the amateur game, you have the Olympic Games, you have the Commonwealth Games. That's an Olympic-style sport. And it used to be no money. There was no funding. So these boxers would be broke as a joke. The swimmers, like Scott, um, like Michael Phelps, would broke as a joke, the UK equivalent. But then the thing came around called the, uh, the lottery, world-class performance fund, they realized that the athletes were doing so bad because they didn't have money and they had to work three jobs so they couldn't afford it. So in 1996, after we won like only one or two medals, right. not even golds, we we created a thing in the UK called the world-class performance plan, which means everybody that's playing the lotto, everyone that plays the lottery, some of that money gets siphoned off and was given to athletes. That started in 1996. So 1998, I said, hey, I want a piece of this. You know, and but boxing wasn't included because we'd never won a medal in 32 years. So my campaigning got us 500 grand for us to compete in in the Olympics, and then I went there and won the gold. So that got that got UK boxing 10 million. So from my story and from my campaigning. You had, in like 2004, the Amir Khan story. In 2008, you had the James DeGale story within the gold, Tony Jeffries, David Price. And in 2012, you saw the full impact of the program where Andy Joshua came around, Nick Adams came around, Luke Campbell, where we won all these gold medals and silver. So it solidified. My fight wasn't just about what happened in the ring, but for my glory, it was about for the future of boxing. So they're two different sports. And then, so once you turn professional, once you because many people turn professional, they don't go nowhere near the Olympics. They just turn professional, but it's really hard because you don't have no fanfare. You don't have no inter- leverage You're in market, in marketing business about having leverage. Winning the gold medal gave me the biggest leverage. So I turned professional with the whole world watching me as the next big thing, you know? And so I turned pro, lose the head guard and, and then now you have to try and do it. Typically how it works in you signed with a promoter, you sign with a manager, they go out and do your deals and you just be quiet and you sit in the corner and you just focus on your boxing with your training team. I yeah, well,
0: Tell me about that decision to not do that because that's similar in poker, I think, right? Like, cause I know some people I've had this experience. I know others too, like Antonio, who I definitely want to cover. It was a pretty epic fight versus uh, Kevin Hart, which you were, you know, coach training him for, which definitely can't wait to talk about such an epic story. Um, but how do you decide? Because it is tricky. It's like, I don't want to give up 20 percent or 10 percent, mm-hmm. but maybe you're giving up a bigger pie. So how, how are you able to kind of dis- make that decision at the time? What information were you going off of?
1: Um, well, you know, the history of boxing is, you know, you see many boxers have gone through and, and then they sue the promoters. They sue their management in all sports. You see it because you don't have your eye on the price because you're busy boxing or busy being an athlete. So typically, what it is, just like in the music industry, these promoters—they're expert negotiators—and you, you're 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 a kid, most of them kid out of the ghetto, in, in a, in, from a working class background. You got your dad, and you got maybe an uncle sitting down in these meetings, and you're meeting with expert negotiators. Like right. I said, I I'd done the street hustle, used to be a hustle on the street, went to university, had a lot of experience. I was twenty nine years twenty nine years of age when I was won the Olympics, so I had seen life. You know, and I was like, you know, my two favorite movies growing up was Rocky and Scarface. I'm like, I'm going to take this hustle on because I want to take control of my career. And winning the gold medal allowed me to do that. So I'm like, that's going to be my first. And I don't want to get robbed by these promoters because they can't negotiate, out-negotiate me. So I sat down with all these promoters and... They couldn't out-negotiate me, and the terms that they were telling me, I'm like, I'm better off just doing this deal myself because it doesn't make sense. You offering me a million dollars, I'm like, okay, you're offering me, say you're offering me a million, a million, but what's the TV network worth? What's it worth behind the scenes? How many countries are you going to sell my fights to? Because yeah. I want to be tied into that too. Once I started asking those questions, they couldn't have, they couldn't deal with me. Right, so then it was like oh,
0: a million, a million sort of a, they, they realize it's a gyp. This happens in sports, soccer contracts. Yeah rappers you know stuff young yeah. people want money like oh like yeah we'll give you 100k guaranteed yeah. and you know yeah yeah it sounds good of kind of it, sounds good. it yeah. sounds
1: good look you you know you give me a bag of money okay here, here's this is what i've learned about life you see this is what i've grown and, and i've learned if you give me 500 grand you give somebody 500 grand in cash okay or you're giving a, a newty for the next 10 years, that's worth five mil. You see it with the lottery all the time, which is the majority of people, especially from the ghetto, comes from, come from nothing. They're going to take the 500 grand in cash straight away rather than taking a payment of taking 50 grand every year for the next 20 years. OK, yeah. what I know now? I'm going to take the 50 grand and get that payment every year for the next 20 years. Because that's long term. That's what what builds financial liquidity. That's what brings growth. That's what's going to help you long term. But we don't think like that at youngsters. So I started to think like that. And I'm like, these promoters, they, they want to pay me this money. But how much are they making? So that's what made me take control of my career. Because I realized they're making too much money behind the scenes. And so I said, I need to take control. So that's what I did, took control. But the thing about the UK, they weren't ready for that. So I ended up spending most of my time, a lot of my time fighting the press. Cause I used to call them, him uh, a prominent promoter. I used to call I don't even give him no publicity. I used to call him him and these merry men because the press would just write, they used to meet for dinner and the press would just write what they wanted to write. In fact... One of the biggest was Frank Maloney, was Frank Maloney, he's now Katie Maloney, because he, he trains, he done, you know, like and Jenna. he changed and, and went out there. And we was in the house together, Big Brother, because obviously part of winning a gold medal and being a personality, I got to do lots of TV shows, which people hated as well. Like, this guy's always on TV. Because I was so charismatic and because I won the goal on the BBC, I had just done a lot of TV, so it always put me in the eye, in the public eye. So I'd done a TV show called Celebrity Big Brother, and I was in the house with the promoter, who was the sidekick of the main promoter who gave me all my trouble, but he kind of spoke, she kind of spo- I have to say she, sorry. She kind of spoke about all of the things that they used to do. They used to meet every week and the person that they were going to mess up, try to mess up every week was me, you know? So I fought a horrible campaign behind the scenes, like trying to do it. And obviously me not winning the gold, me not winning the world title looks bad on my resume. You know, I won a junior version of world title, but I should have won a world title for sure. I had, Everything there lined up, even though I was a little older, even though my body had injury, I would have got there no doubt. And that's another story in itself to say why I didn't get there. The true story of why I didn't get there. Because obviously, you know, Superman didn't get there, and there's a reason why. And it wasn't that I wasn't good enough. And it wasn't that, oh, he, he just didn't want to do deal with the main promoter, and that's why he didn't get there. That's what but the story will one day I'll sit there and bear my soul to you know and, and tell the real heartful, truthful story one day, but that's not for now. But the, the, for now is just to say that look, I had I didn't do it all. And you remember from where I started, coming from a broken home, being in a young offenders institution, being expelled, I've done a great job just to turn it around and get myself back on track, educate myself, win a gold medal, get an MB, become famous, reach my book, done it all. I just couldn't catch up enough. Cause every time I cause in as a pro as well, I had so much breakdowns. I tore my pec. Told the other pet, ruptured my knuckle. I had to have another knuckle ru- on, my, on my knuckle. Had to fix a hernia. I had so many injuries to overcome. And all those setbacks kept on putting me back, putting me back, cracked my rib, had to keep putting me back. And I just didn't have my age, and just because I was fighting the system, I didn't really have time for those constant delays. People say, oh, he's, always, he's, he's not active enough. And it was very hard being an older to be active like I needed to be like a youngster who can fight every six weeks. Plus, I was also the promoter. So I, uh, promoting the shows, getting venues, locking all that in. You couldn't do that back-to-back like every four weeks like a promoter could. So there yeah. were some challenges to being an independent promoter and being the fighter and trying to go back-to-back. You
0: got, you got a full plate. You were doing it all. You're your agent. Oh, my agent, God. It was doing it all. crazy, man. I can only yeah. imagine. I would though. change it for the world. I wouldn't check, right. even though it didn't work. I didn't get everything I wanted, because
1: you know what? I, I took on the system, and I almost got there. I almost took... The, last, the fight that I had with Danny Williams won. Right. Danny, Danny Williams um, won. I came back, not ready. I just got married. Uh, that was my first, like, big, I was unbeaten, 19-0. So if you look at my record, unbeaten, 19-0. Right. Ring Magazine, which is the Bible of boxing, had me the future of the heavyweight division. They put me... Joe Messi, Dominic Gwynn, like three up-and-coming heavyweights as the future, the next Lennox, the next Tyson, the next Holyfield. And so that was 19-0. And I was fighting on the promoters' network. The promoters, by that time, I'd, the deal that I had, being independent with the BBC, had done, I'm now fighting on this guy's, this promoter who's my, en- my, my arch enemy, <laughs> my nemesis. And um, so I boxed Danny Williams. I lost on a split decision, but I basically took the fight on short notice. Because I didn't have the TV deal now, and um, I'm unbeaten. I'm like, where do I go? So I had this fight with Danny Williams, first one, and lose on a split decision. Horrible performance. Horrible. It didn't just t- it just I didn't turn up. You know, I didn't turn up because it kind of all got to me that you know I'd lost my deal and now fighting on this guy's promotion. I just I just didn't I didn't feel it. I should have pulled been a smart like. And this is where you have people that protect you. If I had a management team and I wasn't my own boss, they probably would have pulled me out because they knew I wasn't ready. Even the day before, you could pull out, and, and many fighters have done it if you're not right. But, mm-hmm. so-
0: how tell me about that one though? Like, did you? So, you were 19 and oh, I mean, that's got it. That's a pretty crazy record, right? You, you yeah, yeah. every time you like, are you on top of the world? I mean, how confident are you at this stage of your career? And then, when you go there, did something feel different that day? Like, you were saying, you were kind of like, could you, did you kind of sense something was off, or did you still just think, no, I, fight? I knew because
1: when in two, when I lost the deal, and I had to go to America. Now, I don't, I'm not my own promoter no more, so it's already like part of me. I, I tell you the truth, part of me in 2004 was like. I'm not going to box again. Part of me was because my whole dream died. You know, my whole thing was about being independent, you know, and, and not working and not working with anybody and to be the heavyweight champion of the world as an independent, the first guy. So when that dream died, I had to kind of refocus and, and it took me time to refocus and really get that back. Thankfully, I ended up doing the deal with Al Heyman, Al Heyman, behind Floyd Mayweather and everybody else. Like one of the greatest advisors in the game, like bar none, he's like changed the game bar none in America. So I, when I came to America, I went with Al Heyman, you know, and I'd done two fights with Al Heyman on network TV. He still allowed me to keep control of my career. But what it was, I kept on looking back at England, you know, by now I'm, I'm serious with my, with my girlfriend, who's now my wife, Rachel. And, but I kept on looking back over England, you know, and when I and got married, because I realized, I realized that, look, you know, I'm, I'm from a broken home. Um, I live that, I was at living that single life. But I'm like, maybe this is, this is not what is, you know, I need other things. It can't just be boxing. Because now i am not got my, my promotional deal. I need, I need to move somewhere else. I need to, in terms of like my goals. So I kind of had to re, re kind of set myself up. And I'm like, okay, um, let me do it with another promoter. But the last promoter I wanted to do it with was to go back to the UK and NNM. So signing with Al Heyman gave me the way to keep going. But I kept on looking back over there. So I get the phone call on five weeks' notice to go back and fight for this promoter, which I never, you know, which I never done. But I'm like, I've got to do it. Because it was it was burning me. Even though I knew I was ready. My, so my trainer, I've done, imagine this, I've done 18 fights with my team, my big team, with my main trainer, uh, Fel Torrance. Like, love him to death. You know, he's like, like a father figure, Fel Torrance. And, and Fel, because I was getting married, Fel went to camp with another of his fighters who was fighting for the world title, the heavyweight title, Hassim Rahman. And so, Fel said, look, come to camp with me in, in uh, he must have been, he, I think he was setting up in Canada uh, for that camp. And I was like, I can't come with you. I've done all my, my, my fights in Big Bear, you know, for these big fights. You gotta come to me, but it's like, he couldn't do it because he was already locked in camp. So I just needed to be a bit more flexible and to join another heavyweight fighters' camp. But I couldn't my ego when I was unbeaten. I'm like, hell no. So I ended up doing camp, with just me and my tra- my my UK trainer, and we just done five weeks in Vegas, no real sparring. We weren't prepared, you know, but I still thought I can go there and and, and beat up uh Danny. I ended up losing on a on a on a split decision. And but that re- in terms of leverage, you talk about leverage, so that put me back to square one, you know, in terms of leverage, because now I've lost and I don't have a I don't have a TV deal. So I'm, I'm really screwed. You know, to be honest, I'm really screwed. So frankly, Al, Al gave me another shot uh, in America. And I kind of rebuilt with a couple of fights. But then I got the carrot again dangling from that UK promoter, you know, hey, come back to Britain. i got a fight for you. And this fight's going to get you your redemption and you know how the universe works because I was meant to be fighting a guy called Matt Skelton. Okay. And I went to Big Bear. I went to Big Bear and I was just like ready. You know, I went to Big Bear and I was meant to be fighting Matt Skelton. But what happened was it was like a year to the date, almost a year to date where I'd lost to Danny Williams the year before, eight weeks before my fight with Matt Skelton, Matt Skelton pulls out and they'd roll in Danny Williams to have the rematch with me. So that's the year later. And then I have the rematch with Danny. And one day, said Danny, I was like, "Could I pray?" I prayed to the to the universe. I said, "Please, I have to get you know." Because this was street. He was from Brixton. He was from South London. I was from West London. Is that
0: near I, Peckham? Uh, uh,
1: huh?
0: Is that near Peckham?
1: Yeah, he where he was from Brixton is 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 that the main part of South London. Mm-hmm right by Peckham. And yeah. I was from Northwest London. So this was like this was forget about money. This was like pride. And yeah. I didn't do myself justice. So I had to get him again. If anything happened in my life, I had to get him again. So I prayed for it and ate and and so I went back and had the rematch with him, you know, and I and I almost killed him, you know, because this was for the street. This wasn't this was about my street pride. This was about everything. So that was in but the problem with that fight for me, even though I went there and destroyed him. I now had to sign my career over to this promoter who I said, I'm never going to work with. And I also said, I'm never going to win a world title for you. So it almost became a self-fulfilling prophecy because I'd signed this. When I won that second fight with Danny Williams, whoever I, whoever I boxed that night, I would have won a world title. I mean, I just, I just, and Danny was, you know, Danny beating my, Danny was a tough, guts he was just he's just one of the toughest guys I've, i i know you know hats off to him um you know he was just one of the toughest guys out there just so tough so durable but i destroyed him and after that fight everyone everyone was like boy this guy's winning a world title no doubt but the problem is i was now signed i had now that sign i had to sign my my life away to the promoter i said i'm never going to work with i'm never going to give you a world title so it became a self-fulfilling prophecy because what happened was after that fight now, I'm not the promoter. I'm in, I'm in my room celebrating and, and they walk in. Hey, Order, you got a fight in six weeks, in, in, in eight weeks, in February. This, this was December the 12th. They said, February, you're, you're going to have a warm up on my main and You're going to be my main event. I'm like, hell no. I am not fighting. In I'm going to go away on vacation like I always do. I'm going to chill, switch off. And they were like, no, no, no. You, now you're working for me. This is what I hate. Now you're working for me. I want you to box February day. And now my own team, my own team, my lawyer, my own team say, Audley, you've got to play the game now. You've done it your way. Now you're signed to him. This this is this is the thing of signing. You have to, I said, I am not boxing in 12 weeks. You've got zero chance. So we we were fighting like crazy. He said, like, Look, I'll get you somebody easy, it be all right, I'll get you, you know. <laughs> and so I ended up. Saying, okay, January the 1st, I'll start training. So I'd done two months in camp. And, you know, I ended up... I, they gave me Michael Sprott, who used to be my sparring partner. I love him to death. And never tough, rough guy, but a guy I should beat, you know, 10 times a week. And... Um, uh, first round I came out and the camp was horrible, you know, because actually I was playing, to be honest, I was playing online. <laughs> I, was, I spent time playing online then because it, it was online and I, I was in Vegas because I was living in Vegas by then and I just the camp was just, it was just so-so you know, it was just so-so because I didn't want to go back to back, I'd never go, I never I'm want. I'm 32, 33 years of age now, I'm not a youngster, going back to back at my age is, was, was crazy but this what, was how, how
0: big you started at 19. It seems pretty late. You said your brother used to box. How much of an impact do you think? What could how much would have been an advantage? What's a normal career of a boxer like a, a guy starting at 10, 12, 15? Or like what is what What does that usually look like?
1: So, let me tell you how crazy it is. So, even though I started at 19, I still done the uh, apprenticeship, so to speak, because I've done 10 years as an Olympian amateur. Done 10 years. Someone like Muhammad Ali, somebody like Floyd Mayweather, they were boxing from 10, 11. Okay, Sugar Ray Leonard, all the big names. They all started boxing 10, 11, 12. Lennis Lewis started boxing at 14. And then they do the apprenticeship, which you go through the amateur game and you go up to the Olympics. Floyd Mayweather was at the Olympics. I think he was at 19. Then he turned pro. Muhammad Ali, same thing. Turned pro, young, destroyed. Mike Tyson, you know, Mike Tyson, like the youngest heavyweight champion in history, you know, they turn pro young. They're in the gym from 10, year, 11 years of age. Like my brother, my younger brother, he Rodney, he was in the gym at 10, 11 years of age. By that time, I was, playing, I was playing all different sports and running the streets. You know, so I wasted my prime years. You can say I wasted. You could say I wasted, or you can say I saved myself. But I wasted those years. So typically, most boxers that get to the top they're turning pro 19, 20, 21, you know, so me turning pro later is, is, and you see more and more fighters doing it now. I mean, like Hopkins and a few other people, there's always anomalies, but typically the young fighters are young. They're in the gym. You see the talent early. They turn pro early and they're done in their thirties. You know, mm-hmm. I was just turning pro. So that's very, I, very, very, um, it's very unorthodox to do that. But I, I, I was able to find it and, and, and turn my life around. It was just, it's, it's, a, it's an amazing thing to find focus in your life. Whatever you're doing, it's an amazing thing to find focus. And it's all about your why. You know, I know, I know people talk about, well, what's your why? What's your purpose in life? You know, I tell you, I go back to my epiphany I had a night. I was going to be a famous sportsman. So, but what are you going to do with that? You know, I use that platform and I know I changed the face of boxing in the UK in terms of like funding because it wasn't funded. And obviously I changed it for my life personally. So, you know, I found a purpose and I made that work for me. And I've been able to travel around the world and had I not travel around, I wouldn't even be talking to you right now, you know, because boxing gave me poker. And poker gave me Antonia. Antonia gave me so it all. Everything happens for a reason. If you don't quit in life and you and you and you overcome obstacles like my boxing career, when I lost to Danny, when I lost to Danny the second time, and even lost to David Hay, I've been under the biggest, uh, you can say rubble, the biggest rubble because you know, David Hay, the David Hay fight. I mean, David Hay was my protégé. When, when, when I when I turn pro, so when I turned pro, when I went to the Olympics, David Hay, Carl Frost, all of those guys there were like 10 years younger. So they're the young guys coming up. And so I was like Superman, you know, and all those guys were like my protégés. They looked up to me. Then I used to spar with David. And, I, and so for David to then go past me, for David to then go past me, and then, you know, To give me the opportunity was great because I won the the European title in 2010. I came back with Eddie Hearn, matchroom, now become the biggest promoters in the UK, bar none. Um, But David gave me an opportunity. But, you know, it's like the story was just a great story, even though I didn't pull it off. It's a great story from where we were in the England camps together and then to go to where he's now the champion of the world and I'm getting an opportunity to fight for his title and he's gone past me. You know, so it just it just goes to show how life is, and and obviously in that fight, I didn't do myself justice, didn't perform in that fight. Again, I'd come in from another injury. I tore my pec six months before. What happened with that fight? I tore my fe- my pec um, fighting Michael Sprott again. So I had to rematch with Michael Sprott in 2010. That's the guy who knocked me out on the Frank Warren show that ended my contract. So I had to re I, I fought. Michael Sprott was the, the fight that they gave me to have my easy fight. And I got knocked out. That was after my big win against Danny Williams. I got knocked out in the third round. <clears throat> was it the third or fourth round? And I was handily winning the fight and it should have been a fight I won. But nevertheless, I lost that fight. So my career, I'm in the wilderness. And then I get an opportunity through Eddie Hearn and and Prizefighter. I have two Prizefighter fights. I mean, these stories are great. I have two Prizefighters. I'm in Vegas, okay, playing in poker events. I see Eddie Hearn. This is 2009. I'm out of the industry kind of thing because I've lost to Frank Warren. There's no opportunities. I've lost on that promoter show, so there's no opportunities. And I see Eddie Hearn. So this is a great story in itself. I see Eddie Hearn at the, at the World Series of Poker. His daughter plays poker. His company's involved with poker. They sponsor events. Two thousand nine. He says, "Hey, old, well, I've got a tournament called the Prize Fighter. You should come back and do it." I'm like, "I'm not doing that, Eddie. I'm not, you know, that's crazy. I'm, you know." So we're talking. We're chopping it up over the poker tables, and I say, "Okay, let me come back and give it a try." Um, with you unless you and Eddie was just getting into boxing and he, his dad at Barry Hearn has been a very successful promoter in the eighties and nineties. And now his son is like, hey, I wanna get my chops wet and I wanna get and he had this thing formula called prize fire, which is a very popular show. And it was like with old fighters who were kinda of out of the game and and young fighters giving them an opportunity. And it was like eight fighters and you box all on one night with one winner. You know, and it was like, so I thought, OK, I'll give it a shot. <clears throat> so I, I came to the UK, done that. Uh, I ended up winning it, uh, winning the prize fire, kind of got myself back in the game. And Eddie said, hey, let's, let's roll this on. If we can get your European title, let's see if we can get your European title. And if you win the European title... That gives you a worldwide ranking. You get in the top 10, that can give you a world title shot. And I've been banging on, realizing the dream, I'm going to win a world title, I'm going to win a world title. But it looked like it was slipping away from me, you know, from injuries, from not performing in those fights. It looked like that dream was going to be over. You know, my best years were definitely, when I when I won 2006, <clears throat> I was ready then, you know, losing to Michael Sprock. Then I had a bad car crash, almost lost my life, 2007, somebody rang into me. <clears throat> so I kind of went into the wilderness. I came back on that Nemesis show, lost to that Martin Rogan, which I thought a fight I thought I won. But once I lost that Martin Rogan, uh, I was in the wilderness. You know, they they all the papers crucified me. They said, "Oh, this guy, he's done." You know, so I was kind of in the wilderness, and that's when I started focusing on poker. That's when I, because I'm in Vegas, and I'm like, okay, and I'm and I'm starting to understand the game of poker i'm playing more and more games
0: who got you into poker what may you know why not some other thing was just you were right at that time was there a friend who showed it to Did you see it on tv what sparked your interest so what happened is so
1: um my wife um rachel she was like a celebrity hairstylist and she was in the mandalay bay hotel which was a popular hotel back then probably still is okay right now but it was back then it was like one of the main hot- one of the main hotels, right. and so. When I was over here, I was just like chilling. I really when the whole when I left the UK and came to America, I, I used to walk her dogs and just chill. And I used mm-hmm. to spend time in the casinos. I used to go pick her up, and I'd just be chilling in the casinos and I'd be playing on the slot machines. I'm like, this is like just brainers. I'm not I'm doing. This. And I walk past this room in the back. And I'm like, wow, what room is that? And I, and I walk past, it, and they say, oh, that's the poker room. I'm like, okay, well, what's that about? They said, oh, it's uh, poker. I'm like, I've never, I've never heard of it, you know? And um, so I I, um, I must have been reading the local papers, and I saw an advertisement in the paper. Hey, poker boot camp. And I'm like, ah, poker boot camp. I'm going to do this poker boot camp. So i I done a poker, because I, I was walking past that room, like, for ages, and I was like, I can't go in there because I don't know what I'm doing. So I'd I done this poker boot camp. And I like this is better than playing blackjack. This is better than playing roulette, anyway. Because I'm not give. Once I start, once they told me about how it works, I said, "So all the money goes to the players, not to the house." It's a little bit of money. It's called a rate. Goes to the house, but most of the money gets shared between the players. And the good players are the typically ones who win. I'm like, okay, that's my kind. You know, because I'm very, I'm very astute, and I like to use my brains for everything I do. So that's why I had done a poker boot camp, and I fell in love with it. I was like, wow, this is. You know, and the first time I sat down, I so I went and sat down at the table, played like a one to a cash game. And I and I loved it. I, I, I really I really said this game is you know, people said, Oh, poker's a game of sk- 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 the good players is skill, the, the, the weak players never played is it's luck. So I, that really stuck with me. You know, I said, I need to get my skills up. So I started playing and just you know learning the game, talking to people, and just became a student. I'm a student in everything I do with boxing. I be- I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, you can't talk to me nothing about boxing. Training, like I had the best trainers in the world. If I could, tra- as you saw with Anton, I could train five world champions and get them to from, from the beginning and bring them all the way to the top. Because the people I had in my corner, Phil Torrance, you know, worked with Eddie Futch for 40 plus years, one of the greatest training uh duos in in the game, Buddy McGirt, his, his resume speaks for himself. Shadi Saluki resume speaks for himself. I got, taught, I got tutelage from the greatest trainers. The fact that, and I have it all here in my head. Okay. And, and so I, had I stayed in boxing, I would have just been producing world champions. And obviously from the business side and the management side, I, there's no one that understands a contract better than me from a fighting point of view. I can negotiate any contract with them because I understand negotiation. I understand leverage and I understand the point, the art of the deal. So it's kind of a shame that I've walked away, but I can't sit down and do deals with the same promoters that I was fighting with because I know every trick that they've got. And so it's pointless me sitting down with them because we're not going to be able to get there because I'm going to tell them they don't like doing business with me. Even Eddie Han, who I love to death when I done deal, the first deal I done with him, I knew more than him. You know, now, obviously, he knows more than me now. So I was able to get the leverage on my side. It's all about leverage. And if yeah. you understand that, when you negotiate a deal, you you, you make sure. And it, But now it's about win-win. The old deals that I used to do, if I could take, like, the deal that I'd done with the BBC back then, that's why there was a lot of animosity in the deal, because I, w- I wasn't dealing with expert negotiators. The BBC is a public entity. Their money comes from the public. We pay a license fee to have it. So it's not their money. When I was dealing with Sky or other networks, it's their money. They're going to fight for it. The BBC, they don't have that hunger because they're – do you understand what I'm saying? It's not their money. So no. when they negotiate these big, fat deals, you know, they do it because they don't understand that it's not their money. So I I said, okay, you're going to give me everything? Okay, I'm going to take it all. You know, I'm going to take it all. And I'm not going to even leave a crumb because you, I know how deep your pockets are. And But for that now, for me taking everything, it created resentment. I used to go to meetings and they're like, hey, well, did we just saw in the papers that you, you brought a new house or we just heard that you got a new car. Oh, that came from us. You know, there's a lot of resentment because of the deal because they were like, you know, are we getting value for money? And I'd be like, well, of course you're getting value for money. You're paying, you're paying Jonathan Ross, your uh, TV percent, you're paying him six mil. Okay. And he's giving you, he's giving you three billion viewing figures because it's all about viewing figures for them. I'm giving you four million viewing figures, so you're definitely getting value for for what? Because see, I knew I could tell them; I could. They couldn't tell me anything because they were getting the viewers were tuning in. So how the promoter said, "Let's how we're going to get him. Let's turn everybody against him. So if he has less people watching him, that's the only way they could get to me while I was unbeaten. Let's right. attack him in the press every week so that less people watch him and less people follow him. It's, 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 you know, it's the rules of engagement because that way." Then he'll have less leverage up there. So that's what happened, basically. My feeling figures started going down. I said, oh, he's fighting Obama, he doesn't look good. He shouldn't be main event. And it was just a great campaign that they done. And it and it and it worked, you know, because I had to be perfect. And I wasn't perfect. Obviously, I'm doing 101 things. So yeah. I wasn't perfect. So they had to fall down. You know, yeah, it had so to fall down. Is that
0: is that something too now with your experience and and just sort of how you've you've done everything like? That you are you able to sort of uh, mentor guys that come up is that something you enjoy doing? Do you do you sort of up and coming boxers if you see a yeah. young talent, someone you like their attitude? Do you kind of get in touch with them and sort of yeah. try to help them?
1: I'm always available and and I do it undercover because like I said I haven't I should be an advisor I should be a manager but I, you know dealing with the, dealing with them I just can't do it I had to walk away for my health you know because it was just it just wasn't good for me to be fighting with these guys all the time because. You know they 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 done me good, but when I in private, people reach out to me and I give them I give them great advice. And I and I said this to, I done a TV interview the other day with a couple of promoters and they with a couple of interviewers and they were like, look, Audley is basically admitting that he'd done it wrong. And so I just want to clarify something: I didn't do it wrong. I just thought I was the first one through the door. Now Anthony Joshua's deal, Amir Khan's deal, David Haye's deal—they've all used my model. Okay, but I was the first one through the door. So I had to take all the bullets. Right. Okay, so going first through the door.
0: You, you're the yeah. first one on the vaccine. You're first the first one, one. You're going to see what happens. what's not you right. Have right, to right. Have a, you have to have,
1: right, you have to have a promoter because many of the boxers are not going to have my business acumen, my hustle, my thing. I was just very unique. So you need to have, but you need to have good uh, oversight you got to have a you know, it can't be a dad or your or your uncle he has got with people that know business no contract law because so that's why you have to have a good lawyer you need to have a good manager that knows boxing because you, you know I learned it on the fly and I was able to pick my own op- I had my own matchmaker I had two matchmakers I'd pick my own opponents with these two expert matchmakers you know so, no thank you
0: that's, oh you weren't? yeah you
1: know, so i had a great i had a great um I never done anything by myself. I had the experts around me that helped guide me, from my trainers to my managers to my promoters to my lawyers. I never done it on my own. So, you need to have, so pull me out of it. If you're not, if I'm not involved, you've got to have all those people in to help guide you because you're not going to have, you know, you've got to bring your advisors so you can make the right decisions. I made the right decisions. I just couldn't overcome this big bloody um iceberg in the middle which was the which was the system saying you got to do it our way or you're not going to get there no matter what it takes you got to do it our way and if you don't do it our way you're going to our way you got to come sign with us and give us a bit of your money and if you don't we're going to make life healthy so in the end i, I you can't beat be join them you join them i joined them but i i i wasn't must i wasn't my strength had gone. You might as well say my strength has gone. And like I said, in 2004, I almost contemplated walking away from boxing altogether. For nine months, I sat there thinking I am never going to box again. And you can call it stubborn. You can call it stubborn. But I was like, I'm doing it my way. And if it doesn't work my way, I'm walking away. But that was the peak of my career. I was still like, had so much more to give. I was unbeaten. But I trust me, nine months, I sat there almost walked away, almost. Almost, some part of me think should I have? But no, I'm glad I didn't. I'm glad I didn't. But um, yeah, it was just, I wanted to do it my way and that's, the, and that's the bottom line. But I look back on it fondly, no regrets. Obviously, I, I would have wanted to get there doing it my way, didn't get there. So I'm definitely disappointed about that. But it just, it, I wasn't prepared to compromise. I didn't want to sell my soul to the devil and I wasn't going to do that. But in the end, I did it anyway. So it kind of like a mute point.
0: And I, uh, in terms of your Olympic, the final match, uh, his name was Dilda Bekov, if that's right. Uh, how, how was that match? And and I, I I do see a note that you were handed a letter containing words of encouragement from reigning world heavyweight champion Lennox Lewis. Is that true?
1: Yeah. So like I said, the Olympics. So there was four fights for me. My first fight was against the Russian. He was the world number one. Okay, and I'd lost to him the year before in the qualifiers. So when I got drawn against him the first fight, everybody thought I'm going home. But he's the one guy that I worked on for the whole year, so I was praying that I get him again. Again, the universe worked for me, and I got the guy that I wanted. Cause that made every. Cause I walked around before the Olympics saying I'm going to win a gold medal, and I dyed my hair all different colors, and I said I'm going to win a gold medal, and I made everybody know that this is the you're looking at the future Olympic gold medalist. That's how I walked around the, the village. Everybody thought this guy, who is this guy? You know, I went to the American camp, I went to the Canadian camp, I went to the Holland camp, I told everybody, hey, I'm Audley Harrison, I'm the next Olympic champion in the heavyweight division. So I was really getting the excitement and the buzz. And then when I beat the Russian in my first fight, everyone said, oh my God, right. this guy. And I was doing all these poems because it was about, this was my shop window and I was going to make the world know, but behind the scenes, I'm doing this to get the leverage so I can do my own deal with the TV. So this is this was all a calculated game, but I had to produce. It's all about the results. Isn't it? If you don't get the results, who cares? So my second fight, I beat the uh, Ukrainian, again, destroyed, and that gave me a bronze medal, first bronze medal we've had in in, in, in my division ever. And then I went to the semifinals. My semifinals was against a guy called Pablo Vidos from Italy. I'd beaten him once before. T- another tough, just gritty, tough Italian, just looks at you and just wants to come and eat you. And uh, he came at me, and our fight was a great fight. In fact, Princess Anne, Her Royal Highness Princess Anne came to that fight. So I really – I started attracting attention. Even the royals came to one of my fights. And But that fight was – if you go back and look at that fight, it was a great fight. And I,
0: get, I, well, it works? You both get a bronze no matter what then if you get – Yeah, the- yeah, we both
1: get a bronze, and this is for – we both got bronze.
0: And- Yeah, and
1: this is for us trying to get to the final so this is us going for the final trying to get gold or silver and in the other semi-final was the other was the world number two he was from Cuba and Ruba and he was 6 foot 8 you know and tall guys always gave me trouble he was 6 foot 8 and uh, he was fighting Dibetikov who was only 6 foot 2 that was the other semi-final so me and me and the Russian go back on it and I was just like Silky skills. I was just like beating him, punching him, hitting him, moving him. And he just kept on coming back. So it was just a great fight. I beat him by, I was ahead by 16 points because I was like throwing combinations, moving around. I just weren't going to be denied. I was there for the gold medal. I weren't going to be denied. I I told you my knuckle broke down in my, in my, in that fight, my knuckle totally got destroyed because it was already hurting. It was already damaged. It totally ruptured in that fight because I just kept on, I broke his nose, just kept on hitting him. And then, um, we um, so I had my final. I had my final uh, three days after that fight, after that semi-final, and I sat in the doctor's office, uh, putting my hand in eyes, putting my hand in ice. The knuckle, my knuckle was like the size of a golf ball. It was huge, mm-hmm. and they were like, oh, "We don't think you're gonna be able to box in the final. You're not gonna pass. Like you have the Olympic doctors who qualify pass you. You've got to pass them. You have to do a medical every time you box." And I'm sitting with my team GB doctors, and they're like, "Oh, you're not going to pass?" And my beard had grown. Like in, in amateur boxing, you're not allowed. You have to be clean shaved. You can't have a beard. Clean shave.
0: Interesting. Because you
1: know. I was sitting in. Because I was sitting in the um, in the doctor's office, I didn't have a time to shave. So I went to the medical in the morning on my final, and they, I'm walking up, and I'm you know, there's so much trepidation in me because I'm like, I'm not going to pass. And they're looking at my face, and they're like, Harrison, where's your aunt? shave? Go shave. And I had to go, I'm in a big arena. I had to go find somewhere to shave with my trainer. And we we drove away. It took about 30 minutes to find somewhere. Because I had to leave the village. I didn't have no, I didn't have my shaver. Because the, where the boxing was, so we had the Olympic Village. But where the boxing was, was like 30 minutes away. It wasn't, in, and I didn't bring my shaver with me. Right. So I had to drive to a local like supermarket, find a shaver, quickly shave. It took about 30 minutes. By the time I got back to the to the medical um uh, check that everybody's gone because it's the finals are like the first fight of the finals is like fifteen 20 minutes away they're all waiting for me and and I rush in there they look at me they say Harrison, you, how do you feel you feel good do you feel like you're gonna win they, they just and they were holding my hands and looking at my face you're shaved okay good go go we have to go it was just like a blessing again from the man above yeah, you, you
0: Legitimately, you think if they did a, if they looked at you they wouldn't let you fight with that hand.
1: my knuckle was that size. And um, he's holding my hand, looking at my face, saying, "Okay, you're shaved. Go." It was just wow, divine. Yeah. Man. So, yeah. so I, I, I run, go, get ready, and uh, I'm in my changing rooms. Okay, feeling a little sorry for myself because I've just put the injection in my knuckle. My knuckle, my knuckle was just like it was just killing me, and and I'm and I'm in the change room getting ready. Like I said, feeling a little sorry for myself cause, only because I'm in pain. I'm still going to win this, but I'm in pain. And then they get a letter. I get a letter passed through. They said, oh, we got this letter. I'm like, who is it from? They said, you have to read it. And it was from Lennox Lewis. I hadn't, re- I hadn't met Lennox Lewis. Obviously, knew him, respected him. And he wrote a letter and he said, basically, um, hey, Audley, this is uh, Lennox. I'm in training camp watching you. And, uh, you know, we're all proud of you. We're all reading for you. And uh, he finished it from one Olympic champion to another. Respect. And when I tell you, like, they, they built these, like, temporary – uh, changing rooms that were temporary. So it had you had a door and you had it was all like a wood partition. And when I read it, it was like a shot of adrenaline from my arm. And I jumped up I like I'm winning this gold medal, no doubt. And I kicked the door. I kicked the door and the door I kicked the door right off the hinges. Right off the hinges. Just with adrenaline just I was ready, you know, and I was jumping around and I walked out there and I was just like you know, there was nothing and and what was even more amazing, again, the universe uh, number two, the number two Rubalcaba, the big Cuban, he lost to the Kazakhstan Dubekikov, the who just kept on throwing right hands over. He was like getting punch, 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 and this just kept on throwing big right hands over that would hit the Cuban in his face, and you could see that, and it was getting scored by the judges.
0: So I was fighting him. So a little more a matchup for you.
1: Oh my God. And yeah. I jumped on him and yeah. I jumped on him and I chased him around the ring and he was tough as now. He came back the third round and we were going back and forth. It was like my head again lifted up, but I were not going to be denied, you know? And I, again, I won by, by about 15 points. I was punching like a, like a middleweight, you know, I was just throwing lots of combination punches and, you know, won the Olympic gold medal and, you know, changed my life and changed the life of so many in terms of boxing. Um, Future because it really set Olympic style boxing on the map, and Britain hasn't looked back. Then we were, in terms of the league, League of Nations of how it was, we were like, we were like Z, we were in the in the bottom tier. Now we're a powerhouse. We're in the top tier of boxing, Olympic style boxing, because of that gold medal. And I don't care what anybody and anyone who knows knows, you know, because of that gold, it changed, changed my life, but it changed boxing's. Um, future trajectory, for no
0: doubt. That's that's amazing. Did you fight? Did you ever get to meet Lennox or talk to him? Or did your maybe your trainer wrote that message as he was Lennox? Oh my did god! You, did you ever yeah, meet Lennox?
1: That? So me and Lennox met up. He invited me to Vegas. So Lennox is the so Lennox Lennox Lewis. There's a guy called Mark J. Everybody should. There's a guy called Mark J. Who's a um, he was like he was the head of marketing for for the for the um, uh, Mandalay Bay at the time. But so after i won that lennox invited me to vegas for his fight with david Tua. okay at the mandalay bay lennox invites me puts me up in the in the in the uh, puts me up in in the in the suites i get to meet all the owners of the, of the hotel we have a breakfast together Lennox like this is the fu- you see now you dominated the olympics but this is the pro world this is what it's like at the top of the pro world. we're all in the suites on the top floor okay and and that fight is why i met my wife so there's a head of head of head of um, PR. It's a guy called Mark J. He was British, and a guy called Tim Vincent, who's a DJ over there in England, who I knew. He said, oh, "When you go to um, uh, Mandalay Bay, ask for Mark J. He'll look after you." So I linked up with Mark J. and I said, "Mark, look, I I need to." Um... So me and Mark became friendly. Okay, that was in that was so that's two thousand one. In two thousand three. I said, Mark, hey, I need to get my haircut. I was in Vegas again because I went to Vegas. I ended up signing with my trainers who were from Vegas. So I went and watched that fight with Lennox. Me and Lennox became very, very close. Okay. And he kind of became a mentor for me, which was like amazing. He became a mentor for me. And then in 2003, I said to Mark, I was there for a Lennox fight or some fight. I said, hey, um, it were I don't. Was it Lennox? I can't remember who I was there for in two thousand three. But I said, Mark, I need to go get my hair done. He said, Oh, there's a celebrity stylist down there. She does all the celebrities. I'm like, Is she black? He said, No. I said, How's she gonna do my hair? He said, Oh, I'm telling you, she's done Sugar Ray Len- uh, She's done a uh, George Foreman's family. She's done uh, Mos Sugar uh, Sugar Shane Mosley's uh, wife. She can do your. She can do your hair. So I went down there, flat with her, two thousand three, and um, she done my hair. And as they say, the rest is history. You know, then we got married. So we got married 2005 in Jamaica. And Lennox was at my wedding. Lennox came to my wedding. Darren Campbell came to my wedding. Had a beautiful wedding. Beautiful, like 100 people. And Lennox came out. Lennox and Violet came out. So lots of love. I got lots of love for Lennox, man. And we're not as close as we were before, but we are in terms of like, just like what he, you know, he kind of, I remember sitting in the mountains with Lennox when everything went wrong, when I lost that deal with the BBC, because I didn't lose... The the story with the BBC, I have to talk about that one day, but I remember sitting in the mountains with Lennox when he, he, I went to his house and stayed in his house in Jamaica, beautiful, and he's sitting on the mountains, you know, and I'm, I'm just kind of lamenting that I lost my deal. And he said, look, I've had to go to court many times to get back my money after, you know. And he said, so just focus on the boxing. I remember him telling me, focus on the boxing for now and you'll get your money back afterwards. Go to court, take them to court, get all your money back. But I'm like, "Lennox, have you done that? I can't, I've got to go one step further and keep controlling my career. I've got to do it now. But, you know, maybe I should have listened to that because it burnt me out trying to fight the system when the door was closed. It was almost impossible. You know, right. and I ended up signing with them anyway. But Lennox just gave me some great tidbits coming through and so I have a lot of respect for him. I see the right good. way.
0: About this with Lennox Lewis, he wins a gold medal in the Olympics as a Canadian. Is that something people in the UK boxing community talk about? Can you tell what's his background and what, what is that about? Yeah. On the Lennox that? Was,
1: yeah, Lennox is like me, Jamaican parentage. He was in England and he left England with his mum. I think they left the UK at 12 and he went and relocated to Canada. So obviously he started boxing for Canada. His, his roots were Britain. Um you know, heritage Jamaican. And then he, so at 12 years old, he's, he's in Canada, starts boxing, you know, and Lennox is, again, he'd done that same 10 year apprenticeship because he started boxing about 14, 15, you know, I think he turned pro at 24 after he won the Olympics. He went to the first Olympics, I think, and then he, he done the second Olympics where he took it down. So um, that's, and then once he turned pro, there wasn't really a market in Canada for for boxing, you know, so he turned, he turned pro um so he turned pro back in the uk where there's more of a market for him and he he he, he used those uk roots to, to blow up um yeah so so that's so that's the story with athletics and just say yeah, yeah. it a great
0: journey very cool well uh, i do I, I want to take some twitter questions i also just we got to touch on antonio because that is how we sort of oh, work, right? yeah. know each other. so tell me about this mr s two-time podcast guest one of my closest friends and pretty incredible story he beats goes on a journey that gets laid like 35 to one odds against Kevin Hart. You know, they're, they kind of play some poker friendly, whatever they start talking. And he was like, I'd love to knock you out or say, you know hit you in the nose. I love a shot, at that big beak. And they start talking next thing, you know, there's a bet. Cause of course that's what in poker people like to bet Antonio has a bet. And then how do you get hooked up with Antonio and tell me about this? Cause he's, I mean, I know Antonio, he's not very athletic, uh, at least in the past. Uh, what, a. What what what's the deal? How did this happen? And what was his real shot? How did you get introduced to him? And and what was the sort of arrangement for you to take on this uh, this this undertaking for Antonio to become a boxer in a year and win a win a match versus Kevin Hart?
1: So as I said, so really a student in the game, been playing poker since two thousand, you know, six two thousand seven. Uh, I've had some good success along the way, and because I'm a boxer, every time I'm at a table, and oh, he's a boxer, I, I end up getting talking with you know, most of the poker pros I've, I've met most of the poker pros along the way. Daniel Negreanu became friendly with, you know, and being able to talk to Daniel and just make a connection with him. Uh, I played with Phil Hell. I played with all of them, you know, Uh, my biggest win, which was the Venetian, um, the Venetian um, deep stack uh, came, came third. Um, for about 90k, that's my biggest win, and I and I, I knocked out, as I recall, I knocked out Phil Helmuth, and I remember uh, before before keeping him honest was was um you know uh, bluff catchers was even spoken about in the game, you know he I remember always he had position on me, always raising me, always raising me, and I started calling him down because I realized I had to adjust because he was just stealing too many pots. And and that was where I started calling him down, and I was able to take some big pops of him, and and I almost took down that tournament where I ended up coming third. But that's because I, I think I took out. I think Phil went. Uh, uh, Phil Helmuth went out fourteenth in that tournament, and and he was steamrolling through me until I started fighting back, and that's what got me. That's what got me uh, that win. Um, you know defending my big blinds with, with Phil Hellmuth. So um, That's awesome. I definitely, uh, yeah, so I, I know a lot of the poker pros. I really do love the game, really do love, like, mixing with them. Every year I go to, you know, Vegas and play in the World Series or, or, or one smaller event. So I've been doing that, like I said, since 2007-08. I've had some good successes, um, up to about 250K, now, uh, obviously, I've had some big losses as well, uh, and and big wins. So I'm kind of I'm kind of right there about with a big win. I know I've got a big I've got a big win in me. And, and so last year I kind of came. Uh, last year I came back. I'd been away for a little while. Last year I came back. So I'm going to dedicate some time. And um, at the same time, I'm I'm uh, with the Antonio thing. I reached out to Daniel. I was talking to Daniel. I said, Daniel, I saw something on TMZ talking about um, you know this this poker player. Um, gonna be boxing Kevin Hart, and I was and I said, Hey Daniel, that's crazy. Uh, this guy's gonna get killed because, like you said, wearing glasses. I, I saw him do the interview, I'm like, Oh my god, this guy's gonna get in trouble, he needs some help. <laughs> so, uh, that's kind of how it was. So, I reached out to Daniel, and Daniel says, Hey, hey uh, you know, I'll, I'll connect you and see, and see if um, we can make something happen. And so, I went around to uh, Antonio invited me around, and I went down there. Uh, had had a lunch with with him and, and the lovely Amal, his his, his lovely wife, and uh, met the met the kids, the little ones, and um, yeah, we just had
0: a talk. No one then uh, yes. said, well, yeah, that that's awesome. And so when yeah. you do get hooked up though, like yeah. when you look at him and you see him for the first time boxing, you know, and you look at his ability and where he's at. What was going on? Did you think there was a chance, or did you see that he was one of those guys? You know, he's obviously a sharp guy, smart guy, who got to become world class poker player. Yeah, um, yeah. He's a, he's got the work ethic. You know, he's willing to put in the work. But did you think it was feasible for him to become a uh, you know to get it done? Because not everyone you you got a certain body build and different mm-hmm. things. Like there's certain limitations. You know, to be to do that. What was your your overall thought on him when you saw him?
1: Um, anybody? I can get anybody there if I've got enough time. That was my that was my. Um... That was my mentality, and I said to him, "I can get you there if you give me the dedication that I need." And we had seven months, so it was enough time because, you know, uh, Antonio has certain things in his calendar that he's not going to miss. Um, you know, um, social—he has his social calendar, and and so I said, "Look, just give me the time." And he's and he's a, he's a you know he's a full-time pro, so he'll play. He's different. Games, he's different tournaments and he's obviously very popular he'll have different commitments that he has to travel to around the country so that played havoc with our training but I said listen I need this from you and he gave it to me if you give me what I want you can be I'm not going to take this unless I believe that you're going to give me what I want he promised me and I said if you promise me that you're going to give me what I want I'll promise you that I will protect you and you will get the victory over Kevin Hart and I promised him that and I knew that it was possible because I can get anybody there. That's just the kind of knowledge that I have. I can get anybody there if you give me what I need. He, and
0: he told me, that, me. You were the only one who believed in him. I remember we were on hmm. uh, Bill Perkins' birthday, his 50th. It was like February, you know, mid-middle February. And I was training with him, and we were doing some hill work and stuff. And I was like, man, he's, he's in pretty good shape. I was thinking, you know, but still, you know, because of boxing, too. He's got a big reach on Kevin. He's got size. So that does play in his oh. advantage, too. What do you think the real odds should have been at the start of it? Uh, and what do you think it was going into the Boxing Day when you like when they actually were there? What do you What are the two odds you believe it it really was? Yeah,
1: thirty five to one was fair in the beginning because yeah. Kevin Hart was a stud. Antonio wasn't was wasn't fitness orientated, wasn't aggressive orientated, didn't have no boxing skill. So in the beginning, thirty five to one was legit. But when you brought me on, it should have made it go down a bit, right? And yeah. then the next the next one would have been. The next one would have been um, once we started training. If you came and watched in training, like a month out, they should have they should have made it like five to one. You know, I think Kevin would have still been the favorite, but on the day, I would have made it even money. Had you seen Antonio's training the last week, I would have had it even money because you would have known. Oh my God, this guy's. You know, I didn't I didn't bring people into the gym because I didn't want people to know that I was training him. I didn't really want people to know how well he. He a, right. You know, seven months is a long time. I,
0: I, uh, I, I had Kevin Hart on my podcast, and Antonio both had a laugh about it. But Antonio or uh, Kevin was saying uh, that. Um, you know, Antonio should take him to the prom because he was holding them and you know, doing whatever, and they were whatever. So, but yeah, I made a joke too. It's true, Kevin's a busy dude as well. Kevin's doing living his life. You see him on Instagram, he's doing his boxing with his trainer, but Kevin's not really training for that fight. Antonio's training to to go the rounds and do the whole thing. Kevin's just kind of maintaining, you know, keeping some exercise and boxing. So, I think you know, Kevin probably didn't know how serious Antonio was taking it, and also that you know if, he, if kevin had really trained like the same amount antonio would yeah kevin probably would have won but antonio really took it serious you guys came up with a great plan and antonio was saying you want to do more he antonio wants to do more weights you know he wants to look you know he likes to feel buff as he calls it and do his things and you were telling no let's do more sprints or cardio and like different types of things so how, how did you get antonio to buy into to your way versus what he thought it, just, was my way, it was my way
1: or the highway. So we, we had those little conversations, but in the end, th- this wasn't a negotiation. I, I gave him some of the things that he wanted, but it was about getting you the victory that you want. And I have to do it a certain way. And so that's what that's what we did, you know? And and it was like, and we don't you're not a weightlifter. We need to get you sharp. We need to get you understanding the technical rudiments of boxing, which is how to move away. How to close the distance? How to keep him away? How to tie him up? All those things was the sweet science of boxing that you're only going to get from a, an experienced trainer who understands boxing like myself.
0: For sure, yeah. So he does win. And what was the emotion? How proud were you? As like the, when you actually won, so like that got to feel very rewarding.
1: So proud! It's like it's like it was like winning the Olympics. So I was so excited for him and happy for him because he was vindicated. I know he was getting a lot of stick from people who didn't believe in him, and I was just I just felt vindicated. Uh, and and not not for me, for him, you know, because I I already knew what was going to happen, especially in the last week when he put it all together. But yeah, um, so yeah, just just is great. And Antonio's a great guy. Um, you know, I played a lot of poker because of him, and just being being a part of him and being around him. He's like a classy guy, a cool guy, and just yeah, just a lot of love for him and his family, and just just what he represents. You know, it just I just like his he's I just like his vibe. It's my kind of I'm not even though I'm am a showman I've also got the other side and I'm I, and I'm I'm intelligent I'm smart I'm I'm a thinker and, and I like to plan and strategize what I do and, and 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 so I think me and Antonio are on the same page when it comes to that in terms of like making those, those decisions
0: Yeah I would agree with that absolutely well I have a few more questions and I would. do you want to hit the Twitter cuz I know you got a you got a jammed up day Oh my here. god I got,
1: yeah, I got I got Three people in looking at me with daggers.
0: Hmm. All right. Well, let's, uh, shoot. Let's just, let me just ask one more, two more, and then we'll take one or one from Twitter. Is that, do we have a few more minutes or no? You got to run this. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Run. Okay.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Right. yeah. Let, me, let me just take, uh, all right. It's going to be a $111 giveaway guys on there. If you want to get a question, you can get it in. We're not going to be able to take many. Let me just ask you this. Um, the similarities between boxing and poker, other than the obvious competitiveness, what would be things that you see that are really closely aligned there?
1: Uh, good question. Um, when you're facing, like boxing is about facing your fears and you got to overcome it and go through and you're going to have moments in the fights where you have to push through um, and you have to have a clear, you have to have conviction in, in the way, when I'm, when I'm like, like I said, I'm going to win the Olympics, no, ma- no doubt. Or when I'm in the fight where I've got an injury and I'm pushing through it, it's like that conviction. And I think the poker tables is the same way. When I sit down at poker table, I have got that same conviction. That I'm gonna, whoever I'm coming, to, I'm gonna, I'm gonna come out on top today. You got to start with that. You got to start with your intention, which is how you're starting when you're looking at your opponent in your ring. When you get into the battle now, there's there's incidences in, in poker where you're facing an all-in challenge, or you you somebody's now free bet you, and and, and you you're like, and and your tournament's on the line. For you to make that call, you know you're gonna. At first, this could be an all-in situation. So it's the same as in a fight where you get hurt and you gotta think, I'm gonna make that call or I'm gonna I'm gonna just fight through. And we have those moments in the ring where we get uh, we're gonna be called, and it's like, how are you gonna to respond to that? And I feel like when I get an all in situations, the same. It feels like I'm in sometimes on those tables. You're in a boxing match. You feel like you're in a fight because mentally, because you 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 you're getting you know every time this same person every time you're. You, he's raising your big blinds every time, or if he's on the button, he's always raising your big blind. What are you going to do about it? It becomes a position, well, it's not even about what you have for cards, it's just about position and leverage, what, what I like to talk about. And you have to make a stand because it's the right thing to do. And you have to be prepared to die right now because it's the right thing to do. And it's the same as in the ring, when you get hurt, you got to make a decision, you got to come back, it's the right thing to do. You know, so it's... Boxing, the boxing is the boxing. The, pol- the, the poker players who are successful, you 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 gotta have aggression factor in there. Same as in boxing, you at some point you've got to, your aggression has to come in, and you got you got you know. When I used to smell blood, when I used to get a boxer, I was a great finisher. Once I got you hurt and I smell it, mm-hmm. bye bye. Nice sending help. you home, yeah. and it's on the poker table. Once you have got them on the rails in the poker table, you got to, you got to keep keep on them. You know, if you smell weakness, and you know they made a lay down, you're you're going to stay on it until they change. You're going to keep on it. So poker's a, you know, as, as Daniel Garner many say, it's so a game of information, and you, yeah. you, it's almost like I've got to the level where it doesn't even matter what cards I got. That's where I'm at now, where it doesn't even matter what cards. I mean, I shouldn't be giving that information away, <laughs> but
0: I know we talk um, poker. I can tell you're you you know you're thinking about the game at a different level, and you're you're yeah, yeah. into it. It's it's yeah. exciting. Um, yeah. Yeah for sure. Uh, the, the, uh, the one other thing I want to ask you was that how do you handle variance in your poker life? It seems like there's more variance or chance in poker than boxing, but in boxing, you know, you can get a a decision doesn't go your way. You know, your knuckle gets busted up or you get an injury. How do you sort of deal with like attribute variance in in poker and boxing? The luck of the two.
1: Yeah. Tilt is no joke. Tilt is something that you have. I mean, Control of self is control of life. That's like right across the board. Poker, to be successful in poker, you have to be able to control yourself. So tilt and all that is a part of it. You've seen with Daniel now, I've been watching those Daniel games and it's like even the best of the best can be affected by variance. And that's just because eventually we're all human and it's going to get to you. You know, so the average player, yeah, he's not going to be able to handle it, but the the more experienced players, um, you're going to be able to take more. But it's just about what you're made of. You know, when things went wrong for me in, in boxing, I fucking hated it. But you have to dust yourself off. Like, never, ever give up is my attitude in life. So, you know, I've had terrible times. That, like, I, I'm watching Daniel playing with, with Polk. And I can't believe the run that Polk is having, some of the hands that he turns over and that, that you know, that catches Daniel. In, I'm watching. I'm like, wow, it's just unbelievable. Because it's like it's just the greatest run. It's just a it's an unbelievable run. But that's how poker can run. Sometimes it can run sick like that, even in live games where you, where you think that de- you know you you don't have the absolute nut because he might get there with a five percent and hit his one out. But it happens, you know. But if it continually happens, it definitely breaks your soul, and you've got to be a strong character to get through it. So I just I just think about you know I, I heard a saying when you're playing poker, you're either you're either a gambler or you're the house. You know, I heard that saying, I was like, wow, that is so true. You know, because I used to look at it when I, I used to, like I've read Dan Harrington books. I love Dan, Dan Harrington books, Phil Gordon books. I was like a student of the game. I mean, he's four and two, all those statistics, I've read it. But I used, okay, so I've got 16 outs. So I've, got, I've got eight outs, times it by four. Okay, so eight times eight, 16, 24, 32. I've got 32 outs. I've got 32% chance of hitting. So I'm going to chase it right? 32% chance. Okay. But what does that mean though? But you, but what does that mean when you really look at it? You right. know, okay. 60% of the time you're going to lose or 58% of the time you're
0: going to lose. And it's like, you start looking at Yeah. I think, I think poker is a great lesson too, about variance, life, understanding statistics, oh you know, one out one to come 2.2% shit can happen. You know, it happens. You bro,
1: right. Camp. you You've got to hold your position sometime. And and and, and go, going through this poker journey, I've learned to not make those calls. Like I saw you play the other day and you laid down your jack. I called with my jacks just before the money. I was playing in a WSOP event in Vegas online a month ago. I was I, I busted 10 from the money with jacks. But now and, and, I, and I and I know I know schoolboy era, I know I've laid down Queens in that same position that made me cash like five years ago. So I know. But I've just come back to it again. And so it's like learning those, those instilling those things again in me. Make sure you cash first. Then you, then you can ramp it up and go for it. You know, so it's just been a great journey. And um, variance in life, it's just like life. We don't know what tomorrow holds, Jeff. You don't know what tomorrow holds. It's like life, you've got to just keep moving forward. Because that's how winning is done. Keep moving. No matter what that happens in your life. That's how I'd like to finish. No matter what happens, okay? While you're here and you're above ground, just keep moving forward. And, and be a positive light. Like, I'm, I'm, I feel like education, I was born to educate and I was born to entertain. Those are my two mantras. So however I can do it, I do it to the best of my ability. And, and that's, that's, that's my thing. Just do it to the best of your ability. Don't give up on life. Shit's going to happen. It's been a horrible year. But live life. There's, there's brightness ahead. Whatever you feel about the vaccines, whether you're pro or anti, just live your life and put your breast foot forward. And if I see you on the pa- poker tables, I'm going to crush you.
0: I love it. Well, I'm, I'm teeing up this $111 giveaway because I know you got to go. Uh, just as we're doing that, as we finish here, give me, uh, there's a couple, uh, there's a zillion questions. Literally look at all these questions. So I'm sorry, we're not going to get to all these, but Audley's a guy, he could be a two, even a three time podcast guest. So we, maybe we'll be back in the future. It's been tight today. We got a lot of information, but tell me your nutrition about important in your life. Were you, were you eating like perfectly curated meals, with thing or was it just kind of like a furnace, and you were trying to get as many calories in as you could when you were when you were do, you know in your prime?
1: No, in, in, in my prime, I was in camp. i had my own chef. We used to cook. Well, my brother was our chef first in camp. Then we had brought in our own chef, and um, you know we cook. I had a big camp. I had a big team, and we'd cook for everybody. And everything was nice. No, was it was the calories were count. Well, I didn't count my calories, but we had we had energy food. We had strength food, and we and we, everything was done right. When we used to leave camp, when we used to do an eight week camp up in Big Bear or up in Cornwall in the in the mountains, we were locked off. But I used to always break camp, and I would drive all the team to to In and Out or to one place. I say, right before we, as we're driving into Vegas or if we're driving into London, let's stop, let's get some junk food. meal. You know, we're
0: living life. You gotta let's live. Life. You gotta have some fun. I, yeah. yeah. I, David versus Goliath. How was that? That experience you went to with David? Hey, uh, uh, we all know where we've. Uh, be, you know, I know it's a good buddy of yours. How was that? Doing that? You you got second in a tournament in the Philippines. You were yeah, yeah. over there show.
1: How was I that? Know. There's so much to cover. There's So much. Yeah. But we're yes, again the- last year, uh, after the the Antonio thing um, with Kevin Hart, uh, David reached out. He he had his. Uh, he was doing a documentary, seeing if he could make it as a poker player in a year, and. Um, he, he had these three poker poker—he uh, had these three poker guys that were his trainers. It wasn't working well, so he reached out to me and he actually coincided with me just finishing the Antonio project. So I ended up flying out to the Philippines with him because I knew, get him away where I can sit with him. And I sat with David for uh, almost 24 hours, like 48 hours nonstop, just playing heads up with him and teaching him on the fly how to play poker, heads up. Uh, and obviously part of the deal, you know, we were playing in tournaments. So we played in that tournament in the Philippines, like a $500 buy-in. Uh, and it was good players. You know, it was it was, a, it was an ATP tournament. And David, it was 28 people cash. David cash, or 32 cash. David cash, 28. I gave him a specific strategy to, to follow. He followed it and he cashed. He didn't know what the hell he was doing. And I came second, almost took it down. So it kind of validated again about my my, my play. And, um, I love it. Yeah, and it was, it was a great, and it was great because then I carried on training him full time and I ended up going to, coming to Vegas, bring he came to Vegas. We played in events. I took, almost took down the tournament. I played with 9,000, one of those events. I came 32nd. So I almost took that down. And then we went to the UK and he played in the Goliath. And wow, what a run. I busted just for the money. Again, Ace King, again, Ace King over Jacks just before the money. And, um, It was the right. It was the right move, but didn't get the right result. Uh, But David had a magical run. run. He ended up up cashing. You know, you gave him some help. He came to the UK. You gave him some. He ended up cashing, and he ended up rolling. I think fiftieth. Where did he come out? I'm not even sure where he came out, but he almost took it down. Where did he he come out?
0: Fortieth out of like nine thousand players, ninety-three hundred players together. He came pretty, pretty insane. Yeah, and it was just
1: you know he and we were taught talk- and he had magical moments in there because I said I just busted the day before with my Jax over Ace King and he had a moment with Jax just to- like he's about 80th place he- he's about 80th place he had a moment with Jax where he laid them down the guy had Kings I, I don't know how- the guy had King because somebody else called it was a three handed pot.
0: Yeah. and
1: he said oh, I laid that down because of what you took you know because of what happened with your jacks." so it was just like a magical magical run
0: yeah I think he ran cooler as well like kind of flush over flush or something sick yeah it was just it was
1: just it was just supposed to be like david and goliath david really became goliath almost took down the whole thing and it was just a great experience to reconnect with him outside of boxing and just like just put everything beside us and just it was just a great trip around i love um, it yeah. Be, listen,
0: I got. I don't want to. I, you know, I haven't met your family yet. I hope I get to one day. I don't want them to to, to hate me. I know you got to get running here. So let me let you buzz and just you tell me when I'm going to choose a winner to win the 111 dollar ticket. You just tell me when. Now. Boom. This is it. I'm sure someone's going to win $111 ticket and we're going to let, there it is. My man, Tur Bond just won $111 ticket. That's nice, man. 111 just for hitting the, the, uh, the, the retweet button and getting involved. We'll send him a message. And oddly, I got to thank you so much for your time, man. I appreciate you. We'll be linking up soon. I hope we get to work together. Maybe I'll become a boxer one day, man. I would love to give it a run. So who knows? We'll, uh we'll trade some lessons and, and yeah. you're like a poker pro yourself now, but you know, no, I don't know. No. I need, I was watching you the other day on Twitch.
1: I was watching your Twitch stream. Uh, congratulations. Good man in the money. Went deep. Final table. Yep. Love it. Love it. Yeah. Love it. Fun, man. Good. Good.
0: Rich, we'll get you. I think you got to be streaming on Twitch soon too. So we'll uh, we'll talk That's one day at a we'll time. We'll be back soon and, and enjoy your vacation. Have a good time. And the cheers, man. Thank you so much. We'll see you soon. Thank you, sir. All right, guys. That's Audley Harrison, Olympic gold medalist, the man, the myth, poker phenom. Now he's uh, keep an eye out for him. And and actually, I was with Audley. I know he's got a run here, but I, as we're saying goodbye, I, that was at the uh, the one or no, it was a Triton one million. I believe last year, I got to find it, but we were, we were talking, there it is. We were there. I'll mute it. But this was, this was cool. This was a million pound uh, buy-in. Audley was there Check it out. I don't know. I'm, I'm feeling him on a Triton stop in the future. I'll buy a piece. He'll, he'll take a shot. We were chatting then and we'll be seeing him at some high stakes soon. So thanks again, guys. Podcast number on 12 in the books. We appreciate Audley. Follow him on Twitter, follow him on Instagram. And also he has got a, we showed this at the beginning, but he's got the Salon Nouveau, I believe it's, closed at the moment, but, or, you know, it's been in and out. It's in Calabasas. If you're in the area, check that out. And they also have a, a hair care line, which right here, you can check it out. NuvuHairCare.com. So very nice site, very nice stuff. I'm sure it's good. His wife is a world-class uh, stylist and uh, he's got a lot of hair himself. So I would trust what they got going on. Check that out. Thanks again. We'll see you all soon. Thanks for listening to this episode. It was brought to you in partnership with Party Poker, Go to PartyPoker.com to play tournaments, cash games, and improve your poker game. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast to hear all of my future episodes.